Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Sam. It's uh, a real joy to be here. I'm excited uh, over, well, I'm excited now because I know that uh, I get to uh, prepare and therefore learn everything in the sermon uh, over the next three weeks as we journey through this little mini-series uh, through the winter holidays uh, in which we're going to learn more about God, uh, God as Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit, and through getting to know him, particularly what that means for our prayers. Now, can I commend this book to you uh, for two reasons? One, it's a disclaimer. God is amazing, and we're never going to cover all that we could possibly know about God over the next three weeks. How could we? Of course we can't. That's a disclaimer. Secondly, why am I mentioning this? Because this is just a brilliant book. It's called, for those that can't see it at the Mac, Knowing God. And we'll make sure details uh, about this come out on our weekly news. Uh, this is a book that I've enjoyed reading for myself um, sort of devotionally over the last couple of, uh, of weeks. I've read it before a couple of times as well. I find it so warming to get to know God better, what he's like and what he has done who he is to us and and to those uh, that he has made. Uh, It's written by Jim Packer, who has a brilliant art at making complicated things simple and simple things really well applied. So he's Packer by name, Packer by nature, and uh, it's probably about 15 bucks. I don't think you can better spend 15 bucks this week at Kurong or Reformers or wherever you get your Christian books. Knowing God, uh, that'll be worth doing, especially actually as over the winter uh, break, we won't be having our usual daily Bible readings emailed out, um, so you can read this devotionally, it's priceless. Let's pray. Father God, we do pray that as we come to look at your words this morning, that you might speak to us, that we might know you better. And we do pray that in knowing you better, we might know ourselves, realise how needy, how dependent we are but also how wonderful you are and how you reveal to us yourself, Father, Son, and Spirit, and that we can pray to you. We ask all these things through Jesus, for his sake. Amen. Well, let me begin first by telling you a story about when I was a student. I finished my exams, my last one, I think it was my finals. It finished at midday. I was away. I ran home. I got my bag uh, from my student digs, packed it full of, full of uh, dirty washing and uh, stuff in the suitcase, got on the train and headed towards my parents. They lived about seven hours away. So by the time I got to the station and got the ferry to the island and got the other side, it was about 1am. And there were no buses, of course, at that time. So I decided to walk the remaining five miles home. Uh, that's okay. I knew that. I got home at 3 a.m. I thought, this will be brilliant. In the morning, I'll just surprise my parents. Surprise, your favourite son, I'm home. I got, I got back, I went to the uh, back door where I knew that the spare key was kept in the secret place. Can't tell you. But it wasn't there. I was locked out. So I had a, a new plan. I went to the back garden. I got some dirt from the flower beds. And I started lobbing it at my brother's window. I thought, I can wake my brother up, and then he'll let me in, and I'll still be able to wake, uh, I'll still be able to surprise my parents in the morning. So I'm there, I'm chucking dirt. And inside, my brother, he gets scared. So he goes and wakes Dad up anyway. (laughs) And Dad comes out at 3 a.m. 
into the back garden expecting to have to put on his big voice and his big face and scare off intruders. In the end, he met me and he's just said, hi, Sam, get inside, I'll see you in the morning. <laughs> Is that how we think about God when we approach him in prayer? Do you find prayer hard, like he's asleep? Uh, would he be angry if he really knew what we were coming with? Do you feel far away? Do you think prayer bothers him? Uh, do you think you'll get what you're after? Or do you think you'll just get thrown and dealt with later? Do you feel left out in the cold when you pray? Maybe you feel guilty because actually you're not very faithful in prayer. Well, I reckon we'll actually be coming this morning with a whole range of feelings like that. And so our aim today is twofold. Number one, to know God better. And number two, to grow in our relationship with him. And I expect that the mark of this will be a renewed love for prayer, a renewed joy about praying and talking to him, and a growing faithfulness in prayer. That will be the marks that we've heard this morning. So you've got a little outline in front of you. You are given that as you came in. That's so you can follow your way through. We're not going to be dwelling very long on these Bible verses. So I've put them on the sheet. You can follow through. And also you'll know how long you've got left to wait until you can go home for lunch. Let's begin. Point number one. We want to know our God. And God reveals himself in the Bible as one God in three persons. Listen to this. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel... The Lord our God, the Lord, is one. Now, what does that tell us? It tells us two things. It tells us that there is only one God. Against what the world might say today, you can choose your own way. No, there is only one God. We are monotheists. We are a one God people. There is only one God anywhere ever. And second, it tells us that this one God is undivided. The one God is one. Come on to why that matters later. And the Bible teaches that our one God is in three persons. So, for example, in John chapter 17, Jesus, the Son, prays to the Father that he might send the Spirit. The Bible tells us that there are three persons in the one God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Not three gods, no, God is one, he's not divided, and not different sides of the one God, no, God really is in three distinct persons. Is this hard to understand? Yes, it is. He is God. You can ask me questions later. And it's not that each person is a third God, you know, like those Marvel comics, as though they get together and with their powers combined, they're God. No, really, each person fully God. One plus one plus one equals one. It's hard to understand, isn't it? But this is how the Lord reveals himself. And though we can't know him fully, don't despair, because we can know him truly. And we might just be left at the end of this sermon just on our knees, just thinking, wow. And that would be a good application. Just wow. I don't understand, but just wow. And, you know, as we understand the Trinity, this is why in your children's Bibles, if you remember those, no illustration really works. The three-leaf clover, uh, ice, water, steam. The main problem with any uh, 
any analogy of the Trinity. The main problem is that they're all completely wrong because it's, it's impossible to try and describe this God, our God. And, you know, Victor mentioned those uh, welcome cards, those connect cards. I think it would be a good idea to write down any questions that you have because over this series we might be able to answer them as we go through or have a little question time at the end. It would be wonderful to grapple with these truths about who God is so that we can grow in our relationship with him. Because, like I said, though we can't know him fully, we really can know him truly. So again, why do we need to know this? Why have we begun this kind of very academic, it seems, uh, ideas about who God is, a one God in three persons? Does it really matter? Is this just a topic for theologians somewhere on the shelf? Is it going to be practical? Is it going to help me in my work, in my study, in my life, all over? Is it going to be life-changing? Well, yes, it ought to be. For Jesus says, again, John 17, this is eternal life to know God. So if you want eternal life, we want to know God. And in knowing God, we will have eternal life. Which brings us back to our aim, to know God and to grow in our relationship with him. Because he is personal, so we can know him. Now it might be that you're not a Christian, you've uh, come here this morning. Can I say you're very warmly welcome among us. We love that you're here. We love that you can uh, come and listen and find out about our Lord. And you might be thinking, well, is this... Is this God, this Christian God, just an idea? Well, no. No, the Lord is real. He's knowable. And we can have a relationship with him. He makes himself known because he's personal, revealing himself in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And over the next three, we're going to be thinking about each person and how each person helps us in prayer, beginning today with the Father. And our big idea this morning is knowing that when we pray, we're to pray to God as Father. When we pray, we're to pray to God, our Father. For when we do this, we know that he always hears, he always responds, and he always gives us what we need for our good. So we're on to point two. God the Father is Father of all that he has created. Now, did you know that the Mesopotamian god, Marduk, had 50 names? This is a bit of trivia. Uh, Did you know the chief Egyptian god, Ra, had 75 names? Do you know that the Muslim calls their god by 99 different names? Did you know that? 50, 75, 99, yet not one of those is Father. Isn't that amazing? And yet our God, the God of the Bible, reveals himself and tells us to call him principally Father. Why? Because God is and has always been Father since eternity past. Fatherliness, we might say, is in his being. Everything, you see, comes from the Father. So as one theologian Karl Barth put it, if we call God Father, it's because he's Father in reality. And the three creeds of the Reformed Church, the Athanasian, the Apostles and the Nicene Creed, all say that the Father is responsible for creation. All three persons made the world, of course, but creation is attributed particularly 
to God the Father. So we say in the Nicene Creed, for example, we believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, don't we? So this means that, of course, there are many fathers in the world, but God the Father is the first father. As father, he's the life giver, the protector, the provider, he's the defender, he's the encourager. Now, sadly, I fail on many levels here, and not every human father is like this. Each one of us falls short. But God, our Heavenly Father, is like this perfectly. He never falls short. He's all that human fathers should be and should want to be like. But it's not just that God is a father. No, he's a father to us. He's your father. So Paul prays like this in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14. I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. Did you hear that? The Father from whom every family in heaven is named. So we might hear that there are different races, different families in the world. Well, we might look different, we might speak differently, but no. All have one Father, all created by him. And this means that whoever you are and wherever you're from and whatever language you say it in, you can pray to him. He's your father and pray confidently because he's fatherly. He's your father. So this is why, this is why we pray to him. And when we pray, we address him, father. When we ask, uh, we pray, father, whether it's leading prayers from the front In our Bible studies on our own, we must ask and address the Father. Now, we might have all sorts of questions at this point, like, uh, why why do we pray to the Father only? Uh, Why not to the other persons? Uh, Why can't we simply pray to God as God? All sorts of questions. We might deal with those, or you can pop them down on your Connect card. Well, three reasons the Bible gives us. Now, here's the first. One, because of Jesus' command and his example. So Jesus taught his disciples, and they said, how should we pray? And Jesus said, pray like this. Pray, Father. That's Matthew chapter 6. When you pray, say, Father. And when Jesus himself prays, he doesn't address the Spirit, even though the Spirit is equally God. No, he addresses the Father. Think Garden of Gethsemane. Father. Or on the cross, Father, Jesus teaches us, and by his example says, pray, pray to the Father. That's the first reason. Uh, And added to that, the Apostle Paul also, as we've seen, as we've read, Ephesians 3, bows his knees before the Father. Second reason why we pray to him, because the Father, you see, is the provider. He's the giver of every good gift. From him, everything comes, all of creation. God the Father is the great giver you see we pray to him so is it wrong to pray to the son and the holy spirit well no well no because the son and the spirit are equally god of course we can and if you've done that they will hear your prayer will work of course they're god but you know the new testament tells us only twice 
only two prayers in which we're to address the sun. You might like to tell me uh, where you think they're from later. And at no point are we given an example of praying to the Spirit. That doesn't mean that we can't. But every prayer to the Father, and very often when it's to God, it's the Father who's in view. Uh, what about can we pray to God generally? Well, yes, of course. Of course we can. He's God and he made us. Of course we can pray to God. But this, is, this third reason is why the Bible teaches us to pray to him as Father. And it's for our benefit, you see. It's for our benefit that we're to pray to God as Father. And why is that? Well, the third reason is that it puts us in relationship with him. You see, when we consciously pray to the Father, we're adopting the position as children, aren't we? And as children, praying to the Father in relationship, we're asking him to give us things because of our relationship. You see, that's what we're doing. Jesus teaches us and, and tells us to pray to Father, not so that we get it right and, you know, so that we can be thoroughly correct. No, because it reminds us who we are before him. So you could be having a miserable time. You could be having a desperately miserable time. Jesus says, talk and ask your Father. That's what my children do. They come and talk to us because your Father in heaven loves you. He's a child that he has made. The Bible says he will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. Talk to him. And we can pray to this father as children, the father who holds the power of the nations as though a drop in the bucket, who measures the stars and numbers them. And this God knows each one individually so that he is a father to the fatherless, a comfort and helper to the widow who lifts up the brokenhearted. This God is Father who is awesome and yet knows you. So we can pray to this God, our Father, your Father, from the privileged position of being his children. Now, you might know this from experience. What should a child do when they have wronged their parent? Some, some laughter. What should a child do? Maybe it's you. Maybe it's your children. Well, what should we do when we have wronged our Father in heaven? Again, let me tell you about a time when me and my father hung out. Again, I was back from university. You can tell where all these illustrations are coming from. I was probably about 20. I, I came back and Dad had got a new car. Well, new to us anyway. And he put me on the insurance. And this wasn't it, but this was the colour. British Racing Green. British racing green, new car. Dad gave me the keys, put me on the assurance I could go and visit my friends. Within 10 minutes, I had, I had left some of this clean green racing machine etched onto the white wall at the end of the road. The white wall now had British racing green stripes. The car had white scratch marks. I was devastated. I've been there only a few minutes and I had to walk back with the keys in hand and said, Dad, I'm so sorry. I, I hit the wall and I scratched the car. Do you know what his first response was? Do you want to guess? Son, are you all right? I think I melted. 
It's easy to say sorry to a father like that, isn't it? Easy to say sorry to a father like that. Well, how much more is it easy to say sorry to our Heavenly Father when we need to repent of sin? And we will. Paul spoke of God as Father to the Ephesians, the mighty Creator God, and yet Father to all of us. Listen to this. It will appear on screen. Act 17. The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not need anything, since he himself gives to all people life and breath and everything. So this God who made the world, he is awesome. Don't think that he needs anything. He is incredible, so far above what we can imagine. And he then continues, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he's actually not far from each one of us. This awesome God, so high above the heavens, is not far from you, or anyone for that matter. And then Paul goes on, Since then we are God's offspring. We shouldn't ignore him or think he overlooks sin. Rather, he commands repentance. But he has set a day for judgment. There is a day for judgment. Paul says, the Bible says, and our Lord, the God, the God who made us and owns us and has every right to ask of us worship, our Lord and God, he commands repentance. And as creator and father, he calls us with arms out wide to repent, longing that we would find his mercy. He asks that we would seek him and find him. And he's not hiding and he's not far. It's easy to come to God, a God like this, to our Father and say sorry, isn't it? It might be that you haven't actually done this. You're not a Christian, you're looking in, you'd love to know the forgiveness, the assurance, the mercy that comes from him. It might be that we're hanging on to something, bitterness, Anger, immorality, a secret that we haven't yet brought to the Lord. He's not far from us. He made us that we might seek him. And it's easy to say sorry to a father like this. But why would anyone do that? Why would anyone face up to God? Well, the hymn writer gets it right. You might remember this. The well-known hymn, Father-like he tends and spares us. Well our feeble frame he knows. In his arms he gently bears us. Do you know this? Rescues us from all our foes. Praise him, praise him, praise him, praise him. Widely as his mercy flows. The hymn writer knew God The hymn writer knew that we can approach God, our Father, for mercy at all times when we need it. And, you know, for those who have done that, and you've done that, he's your Father twice over. For not only has he made you, but he has adopted you in Christ. We had it in our reading from Romans chapter 8, and we learned this incredible news that anyone who puts their trust in Christ is a child of God. More than that, 
has been adopted and will now share Christ's inheritance. And that's because we are all adopted as sons. Have a look at verse 14. It will be on the screen. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons. Now, half the congregation might be thinking, well, I'm female. Why am I called a son? Now, Paul has in mind you because the son, you see, was the heir. The the son in in Roman day uh, received all that was given to him. And if he was adopted, he received full rights, full family rights belonging to the family. Many Caesars, in fact, were adopted and received all that their wealthy guardians, adopted parents, gave them. So women, this is actually a great example of the Bible being totally revolutionary and countercultural for its day and today. You won't find any sexism at all. Rather, in the gospel, in Christ, women with men are elevated to the extraordinary position of being not sons as in men, but sons as in heirs. Heirs of the kingdom, co-heirs with Christ. Men and women have full family rights by adoption. Now, this is going to sound like a fairy tale, but I promise you it is 100% true. I have a friend who was adopted as a baby, and she shares in what her father has now. Her father owns a gold mine. Yes, he owns, not just works in, not just runs, he owns the gold under the ground, all of it. It's his And she was adopted into this family. Do you know what she has? Do you know what she received? She she received the gold mine. What had she done? What had she done to receive that? Nothing. Nothing. Just a baby, a helpless baby. She needed everything. But she's been brought into the family, and all that's his is hers. Wonderfully, she's a Christian, and she knows actually that her greatest treasure is being adopted also by her heavenly father. But this is a little picture. You see, you and I have all that we need and more. More than this. This is just trinkets by comparison. You and I, if we're Christian, have been adopted by God, such that we are heirs, heirs of the kingdom and co-heirs with Christ, full family rights, heirs by adoption. It's why there's no such thing as a second-class Christian. And like my friend, we are heirs because we're adopted, not because we've deserved it. And this is thoroughly great news, because it means that you and I can't do anything to stuff that up. I know that if it was down to myself, if if I thought that God was pleased with me because of my performance, and then this week I sinned, I argued with someone, I got cross in my heart, well, what then? What What does that do to my assurance? No. God loved us. He chose us, not because of anything in us, but because of his mercy, because of his grace, because he owns everything and doesn't need anything from us. That's why he can choose you and love you and bring you into the family. Full rights of adoption. 
And this is what it means for our prayers. Three things. First of all, God, our Father, your Father, always hears your prayers. Because he doesn't need anything, you see, he's not expecting anything of us. There's no kind of trick that we need, no secret key to unlock God's access. No, he's inclined to us. He always hears our prayers. So it's not like me standing outside my brother's window throwing dirt. Our prayers are not like that. For many reasons. Number one, we're not on the outside. We're in. Number two, my brother doesn't want to hear me. God does. And number three, our prayers are not dirt. Our prayers are words to our Heavenly Father. God always hears our prayers. Uh, And that's why Jesus says we don't need to use special words. Don't keep babbling like pagans who think that they will be heard because of their many words. No, just talk to him. Use Use the kind of baby language that we're used to. Um, my, my youngest child, Zach, said his first proper word this week. Did I correct him on his diction? No. Don't be ridiculous. I was overjoyed as he goes blah, 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 and occasionally says, well, use your words. He's your heavenly father. Second, because we're adopted, God always wants to give you every good thing. Do you think God owns the gold mine, brings you into the family, wants you to share in it, and then is going to hold anything back? No, he who did not spare his own son, how will he not also graciously, along with him, abundantly give us all things? When he hears, he answers, and is always able to give us every good thing. So in our Bible reading, chapter 8, we're told that the Spirit, the Spirit himself testifies to our spirit that we are God's children. The Spirit testifies with our spirit, or more accurately, to our spirit. Uh, the Spirit, you see, tells you, your, you, your spirit, you are God's child. And how do we know that we're God's child? But when we call God Abba, Abba Father, because when we pray to our Father, that's the main marker of faith. It shows that we're in the family. Look at again verse 16. It will appear on the screen. By the Spirit we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It's the deeply personal name that girls and boys would call out in their night uh, when they wanted dad. Abba, Abba, Father, Daddy. It's the cry of dependence, you see. It's the cry of relationship. It's the cry knowing that when it's called, he will come running. And it's the cry that Jesus himself called, isn't it? Do you remember? In the garden, Gethsemane, the night before he died, Abba, Father. Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. And by the Spirit, we can address God in the same way as the Son. Isn't that amazing? We can cry, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. It's why when we pray... God is able to give us every good thing. But thirdly, will he give us every good thing? We know he's listening. We know he can give. But will he give? Well, third, God will hear and answer for our good. Listen to Jesus' words in Luke 11. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, 
if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? Can you imagine you're down at Maroubra Beach, it's a hot day, and you see the little girl uh, standing with her father outside the ice cream van, and she says, Daddy, Daddy, I want one of those ice cream cones with the flake. Easy to imagine. And instead, the father says, sure, and he pulls out of his pocket a little glass container with a Sydney funnel web spider, and he just says, there you go, have that. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine? Or, or, or there's another son uh, with his father, and his father, the, the, uh, the son says, can I have a, a snow cone, can I have a, a lollipop, you know, covered with sprinkles? And the father pulls out of a bag an eastern brown snake and just sort of wraps it around his... Can you imagine that? No, that's ridiculous. If human fathers, sinful though we are, we're lining up outside the treats, of course we know how to give good gifts to our children. And so Jesus goes on, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, well, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? We know that God always hears. We know that God always is able to do all that we ask. And here we see God is always wanting to give us all we need for our good It means that when we pray, praying to the Father, knowing the Father, we can expect him to answer and able and wanting to give us every good thing. So as we wrap up, as you write down those concluding notes uh, in your head, the the test of what we've been saying will be changed, won't it? It will be a changed heart. It might be a changed routine, a changed day. For whereabout change, aren't we? What will you change? Because it would be easy to come on a Sunday to listen to some facts about the Trinity, fill our minds with the 17 Bible verses that we've read out today. But if it doesn't change us in any way, well, then we haven't heard. And we don't know the Lord any better. But friends, this Father is the Father we can pray to and ask anything of. And so mark number one that that we've heard this is that we're going to be quicker to confess sin, isn't it? quicker to confess sin to the Lord, and as I thought about it, quicker to confess sin to one another. Because if we're given all we need in Christ, if we are heirs of the kingdom, there's nothing that we really need. We can say sorry, and it doesn't hurt us. We've not lost out. We can confess sin. Second, we're going to be confident to pray, aren't we? Uh, That doesn't mean that you have to become a confident person overnight. That's okay. But praying from the front or praying in groups, when we get together for our church prayer meeting, don't leave it to others. I think that their prayers are so much better. They're they're kind of premier class Christians. No, there's no second class Christians. We can always pray to God our Father confidently, for he knows that he hears, will answer, and give us every good thing. And thirdly, we mustn't think that he won't hear us because we've sinned. And on the flip side, he doesn't hear us because we're amazing or we think we're amazing. No, he hears us because he's amazing. But he's good, he's great, and the giver of every good thing. And also, and this is where we'll finish, because of who we are. If he's our father, then we are his children. 
Anna's children will be heard, helped, and have everything we need. So these are great reasons to know God our Father and pray confidently to him. And so I'm going to finish up by just praying a couple of lines, a prayer that my parents, my father, taught me. Let's pray, and then Emily will continue to lead us in prayer. Father, we place into your hands the things we cannot do. Father, we place into your hands the things that we've been through. Father, we place into your hands the way that we should go. For we know we always can trust you. Amen.